Welcome to the Inclusive Growth Show with Toby Milden. Future-proofing your business by creating a diverse workplace. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I'm Toby Milden. I'm joined by a fantastic guest today. His name is Stephen Frost and Stephen is the Chief Executive and the founder of Frost Included, which is a leading diversity and inclusion consultancy that helps to build inclusive organizations through addressing DNI strategy, data, governance, leadership, and systems. Stephen was the head of diversity and inclusion for the London 2020, uh, 2012 Olympic and Paralympic Games. His responsibilities included diversity across a 200,000 person workforce, procurement, of 57 delivery functions to inclusivity in an 11 million ticket program and accessibility at 134 venues. Before that, he established and led the workplace team at Stonewall. And after the Olympics, he founded Frost Included and headed up diversity and inclusion at KPMG, the global professional services firm. Stephen also teaches and writes about diversity and inclusion. He teaches inclusive leadership at Harvard Business School, Singapore Management University and Sciences Po in France, and is the author of three books on DNI, the most recent being Building an Inclusive Organization, Leveraging the Power of Your Diverse Workforce. So, Stephen, welcome to the show. Thanks, Toby. Great to be here. Great. So, um, Stephen, we're, we're recording this episode almost at the height of the uh, the pandemic. And, uh, you know, in the UK, we've, we've just passed the um the height or the threshold. So, so how do you think that the, the current pandemic and the, the economic downturn is affecting diversity and inclusion in businesses? So first of all, this is a, this is a tragedy, right? Uh, and, and whatever we're about to go on to say, I don't want to denigrate the fact that it's a tragedy. Many people have lost loved ones, right? And we're going to lose more. So that's, that's the first thought. So in terms of how it's affected for diversity inclusion, for me, it starts and ends with people. And We've lost people, so it doesn't really get worse than that. So the quick answer is uh, badly, right? However, I think when we get on to diversity inclusion as a practice in organisations, what we're seeing is a real bifurcation. It's a real kind of mixed bag. On the one hand, we're seeing some organisations cancel, deprioritise, downplay, and that diversity inclusion that's probably always been compliance-driven or marketing-driven in a relatively superficial sense is now off the agenda. And that's a real shame because this is the time when we need it most. However, on the upside, what we are seeing as well is some organizations doubling down on their DNI efforts in organizations. And we're seeing it really come into its own and being part of the strategy that's going to get us through this crisis. And so it's a real mixed bag, Toby. I think on the one hand, you know, unfortunately, it's off the agenda for now. In other cases, it's it's even more important. And obviously, we want to be trying to grow that second group of organisations to think about diversity inclusion, not simply as a nice to have at this time, but as a key methodology for how we're going to emerge more inclusive and stronger from this crisis. Yeah, I mean, some of the conversations I've been having with my own clients is the impact of unconscious bias. So there's a lot of, there is a lot of interest around unconscious bias in business. You know, a lot of organizations do unconscious bias training. You talk about it in your book. I talk about it in my book as well. And, you know, some of the questions my clients have said is, how do you think unconscious bias has changed? Or are we still uh, prone to unconscious bias 
during the pandemic and the economic crisis as well. I mean, what, what, how do you think unconscious biases are, are being affected? Oh, well, massively. I mean, I think unconscious bias is a natural, normal part of the human condition, right? So at any time, day of the week, we're all undergoing bias. It's part of being human. But I think that at times of fear or crisis or stress, we know that often a lot of biases are accentuated and, and activated and, and heightened. So, you know, particularly at the moment, we're seeing confirmation bias and affinity bias going through the roof. Because when, when people feel stressed or under pressure or fearful or vulnerable, they tend to hunker down to what we already know. And that means the people we already know, affinity bias, and preferencing them over people we don't know, like our outgroups, and also confirmation bias, sticking with what we already know rather than being curious about what could be or a different way of doing something or experimenting. And of course, if we just hunker down and stick to what we know and who we know, we limit the kind of options that are available to us to solve this crisis. So I think that unconscious bias is really important this time. I think it is massively playing out, but it's about making people aware of that and then we can take mitigating action. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the things I've been talking about recently is the, I suppose, the shift in the role of a diversity and inclusion leader, that that during the current situation, it's almost business is not as usual for the, you know, for the usual uh, DNI leader role. And it's almost like they're having to become uh, inclusive crisis managers. I mean, how do you see or, you know, how do you think organisations should be responding to the crisis in in an inclusive way? Well, well, let's start from, I think, the organisations that I've got most respect for right now, uh, frontline NHS healthcare providers, right? If, if doctors and nurses on the front line who are probably under most stress, most pressure in life and death situations right now, if they can carve out time, two, three seconds to just grab some fresh air, go to the corridor, run to the cubicle and reset their brains from system one thinking fast to system two thinking slow. If they can do that, then we can all do that, right? And so I think what's what's the role we should be playing? We should be taking a lead from those who are most on the front line right now and working back through all of our organizations to say, you know, what's my job as a leader? So what do you think about in terms of like the more business infrastructure side of things? So organizations are having to put people on furlough or they might be letting people go the way that we're working is changing so a lot of people are working from home what what do you think organizations should be doing it because of these business changes well isn't that interesting right because i think it's such an unprecedented territory isn't it and so organizations that kind of had a clear plan before are suddenly like okay what what do we do right now from, from talking to loads of clients, loads of organizations, loads of colleagues, I think there's a few things that we should be doing. I think one is starting with the basics, you know, like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, start the basics in terms of are our people safe, right? Are our people safe? Well, are we, are we doing what we can for our people? And I was quite struck, actually, by the letter that was published um, from uh, Airbnb, who were, you know, making, I think, a quarter of their workforce redundant. And... You know, I obviously don't want to comment too much, but in what was made publicly available, I was struck by the fact that the CEO 
started with really caring about the people. And so, for example, ensuring that lots of benefits and so forth can, can remain with their people as long as possible so they can keep their laptops, they can have access to mental health services and so forth. So I think one is starting with that. And I hope that, you know, that's the case already for lots of companies. But if it's not, I'd, I'd like us to get back to those basics. I think the second then is to truly try and think about the post COVID world, you know, what what is this new normal actually going to look like? Because whilst there's so much we don't know, what we increasingly do know is that this is going to go on for quite some time. And that means that people are going to have to work in a different way, in a different place. And and so, you know, some people cope better with change than others. And, And I think when one variable changes, we can kind of cope. When multiple variables change at the same time, it can be discombobulating, right? People can feel very unsettled. And so actually, how do we give people the space and the empathy to just acknowledge multiple variables changing at once, but then to practically help them find their way through? So number one, where do I work, right? Maybe that's changing. Maybe that's changed forever, right? Or maybe it's the middle class privilege that we can work at home. But whatever workplace is, the concept is changing. That's a really, really good point. I mean, what what are your... What are your hopes and predictions for inclusivity when we bounce back from the from the pandemic? Let's start with the negative before we can bring ourselves up again. And the negative is that for some, it'll be off the agenda, right? So for some who don't get this, who aren't listening to Milden's podcast right now, they'll be like, oh, right, cost line item, gone. And, and that's, that's a tragedy um, for the reasons we've, we've said. But to positive... For those where it is very much part of the mix, I think it's going to be more profound than ever. And that's a good thing, because rather than just being a diversity week, a few awards, uh, a a programme over here for a group that the majority and the power don't even know about. Hopefully it's been much more profound in terms of, you know, we've all been through this collective experience. We've all been through a collective grieving experience. And people are going to be wanting more from their jobs because they're questioning more about life. So, you know, I'm not going to be satisfied with a job and a paycheck and thanks very much. I'm going to be wanting, hang on a minute, you know, we've experienced death, we've experienced tragedy, we've experienced real loss and fundamental changes in the way we live our lives. So if I'm going to work with you, I want more out of it than my paycheck, quite frankly. And, And that's been a trend that's been on the horizon for quite a while, hasn't it? But I think this really forces the issue. And so I hope, Toby, that that to answer your question, the the inclusion that does survive really thrives and is is profound in the sense of impacting the design process or the hiring process or the marketing process, you know, that it's really in, in in the fabric of the business. And the counterfactual of that for me is that at the moment we're seeing some relatively superficial stuff from some companies, which we can call corona washing, right? In the same way there's pink washers, corona washing. It's like, yeah, it's great we clap for our carers, but, you know, are we paying fundamentally decent wages with proper working conditions? Are we tackling bullying and harassment, which is based off of discrimination, right? So are we we really profoundly including people in our organisations? And are we going beyond just kind of pink washing, corona washing type stuff? Yeah, I suppose... Some of my hopes and predictions are um, we've been in lockdown for uh, more than 30 days and it it takes 30 days to change a habit. 
And I think that when we go back to the new normal of working, that our habits in the workplace will be changing. So I do think that more people will want to do flexible or agile working. And I think it will be a lot more acceptable in businesses. You know, I've talked to some of my clients who they admitted that they had a kind of two-tier approach to flexible working, that uh, they said on one hand that they really supported flexible working, but on the other hand, there were certain individuals in the company that couldn't be trusted to work flexibly, or they thought the role couldn't be done outside of the office, but they've realized over the last two months that actually those people that they couldn't trust can absolutely still deliver on their jobs and they can still do their work outside the office. So I do think that people, there will be more appetite to do flexible working, which will help people with you know all sorts of conditions. It could be caring responsibilities, health conditions, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think like, like you say, Toby, it's, you know, it's probably something that a lot of us have been asking for for years and suddenly, you know, overnight, there we go, you know, actually, oh, it can work. Right. Yeah. yeah. And I think also that like, if we look at things like, I don't know if you read it, but the business in the community did a good report a couple of years ago called Equal Lives. And they said that one of the major contributing factors to the gender pay gap was the men not taking a, as an active role in caring responsibilities. And if men did take more of an active role, that that would go some way to closing the gender pay gap. And I think I mean, I hope that also changes because we've got families that are working from home and they're, they're having to share caring responsibilities and perhaps that's something that they want to continue um, going forwards as well. I, I hope you're right. I think, again, though, the, the, the evidence suggests it's kind of going two ways, right? So some some blokes are kind of at home and thinking, crikey, you know, get me out of here. And they're, they're, they're not used to it and it's actually reinforcing the gender stereotype division of labour where, you know, women and men have got jobs to do, but women are taking more of the burden of the childcare on. I've had many, many female clients telling me they've got three jobs right now, you know, their job, their parenting and their teaching. Whereas fewer male clients have said that. Fewer male clients have been locking themselves away and getting on with the work and, you know. So, but but I, to your point, maybe, you know, more men will experience this stuff and then hopefully some will want more of that and not simply revert to type. But, um, yeah, interesting to see how that plays out. I mean, so what do you think organisations should be thinking about right now in terms of having more inclusive workplaces once we get through the pandemic and, and we bounce back from this? Mm. I mean, I think it starts with the basics again, doesn't it, with defining you know, what is the workplace, right? So let's say the workplace is physical, it's an office, right? Um making it accessible, right? A lot of people are going to be like cutting down their office requirements now. They don't, you know, don't need as much space. So if you're moving or you're downsizing, whatever, make it accessible. I mean, like start with the basics, right? Um, but I think also thinking about things like, well, if now the childcare situation, parents are caring responsibilities of fact, should there be more on-site childcare facilities? Should we be have more of a flexible approach to start times and end times? Should we be thinking about how people get to work, right? So all kinds of things I think that we need to think about is the workplace itself. Then there's the actual work itself and how you talked about before, about how work gets done. And, 
you know, clearly remote working use of technology is here to stay and hopefully grow and, and embed. What does that mean for line management, performance reviews, um, bullying and harassment, disciplinaries, uh, team working? You know, all that needs to be thought about too. So I would encourage organisations to, again, notwithstanding the tragedy that's going on, to see the silver lining, the opportunity in this crisis, to experiment and dry run, test run, things which you've always wanted to do but never got around to or were not sure of. Because try them now and they might then work in, in the future. Two, two examples of that. One, I'm working with a tech company right now, a tech company that had a really presenteeism culture, right? And it was a major barrier to them becoming more inclusive. But this, of course, to your point, has thrown that out of the water in the sense of, well, how can we be present at the moment? What does present mean being online 24 hours a day? Or So it's suddenly opened up a lot of opportunities about how work is done. And the other, I guess, was like back in 2012 with the Olympics and Paralympics that, that I worked on. You know, in that crisis, we and that immovable deadline, that pressure, we had to try things that we'd previously perhaps not bothered because you could kick into the next quarter or the next committee, whereas you couldn't. It was, are we going to do it or not? And so thinking in that mentality, let's give it a go, try it, and then we've got something new to use in the next chapter. Yeah, absolutely. So this is the Inclusive Growth Show. The reason why I talk about inclusive growth in, in both the book and this podcast is that I really wanted to reframe diversity and inclusion conversation for businesses to make it really strategically important for them to have the ear of a chief executive so that we start to see diversity and inclusion as really strategically important to an organization and something that enables organizations to grow. And organ, you know, growth means different things to different organizations. So for an insurance company, uh, you might want to sell more insurance premiums. But if you're a police force, you might want to have better relationships with members of your community. Or if you're, if you're recruiting police officers, you might want to do that in a diverse way. But from your experience, what, what does inclusive growth mean for you and how have you seen this kind of approach to DNI playing out for your clients? So Toby couldn't agree more about inclusive growth. I guess it's like a growth mindset as well as economic growth, right? As well. It's, it's about generally expanding the possibilities and the, the value that we've got available. I think look in a few ways. We work with um quite a lot of pharmaceutical companies. And for them this is about innovation. So If you include diversity in the R&D and the clinical trials, you'll end up with medicines and drugs that serve more patients, save more lives. If you don't, it's the opposite. So so for for, for innovation in pharma, it's a no-brainer. In in tech, I think in tech, with tech clients, it's really around in the design progress, design process and de-biasing algorithms. So we know that example, uh, there's a Georgia Tech study done about four years ago where driverless cars were bumping into black folks more than white folks because the camera-based AI technology wasn't seeing darker skin tones. Just ridiculous, right? So so again, think about diversity in the design process. We produce goods and services which work for, work for all customers. And then I think besides healthcare and tech, an obvious other one would be, would be finance, where, you know, g- growth in finance, literally money, you know, you need to have better decision making and you need to de-risk groupthink and silly decision making, as we've seen in the past in the financial crisis 12 years ago. So there it's about actually, you know, encouraging new 
perspectives and thoughts to de-risk um, decisions and to ensure sustainable, decent growth um, over the long term. So I, I think I think I'm with you uh, on on the on the inclusive growth thing. I think in all those examples and more, we can see how it actually impacts decisions that are made now, which generally improves the possibilities uh, open to us uh, down the line. Brilliant. Well, Stephen, thank you ever so much for joining me on this episode of the Inclusive Growth Show. I really appreciate you taking time out of your your busy day to talk to us. Um, And thank you ever so much for listening to this episode. And I hope you can tune in for the next one coming up shortly. Thank you and goodbye. Thanks, Toby. Thank you for listening to the Inclusive Growth Show. For further information and resources from Toby and his team, head on over to our website at milden.co.uk.